Well, good evening. I trust you're having a good week. I do thank you for coming out tonight because it's miserable. It's freezing cold. I say thank you for uh, for coming out. I trust the Lord. I will bless you. And uh, a warm welcome to those tuning in online. Um, try not to fall asleep in your nice warm lounge with your heater going. Um, but tonight we're continuing uh, in the book uh, of Ruth. And uh, so far we've considered the sinful trip to Moab. Uh, Elimelech led uh, his family to a pagan nation, which was a foolish decision. And although things started out well, things began to fall apart. The wrecking ball of tragedy struck. There were three funerals, and Naomi ended up husbandless and childless. Her life was smashed to pieces. And although the decision was a long time coming, Naomi finally determined that it was time to return home. Uh, And it's this that we're going to consider uh, in our study tonight. So I want to read uh, from Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 7 down to verse 18. So this will form the text for us tonight. Ruth chapter 1, reading from verse 7. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah, And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. And they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will ye go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn again, my daughters, go your ways, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou dost, sorry, where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the opportunity that you have providentially given to us to study your word this night. Help us to grasp our great need to hear from you and to be fed from your word. Please remove all distractions. Help us to be alert and attentive. And may we all grow in grace and godliness through the ministry of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Better late than never is a common idiom which conveys that someone should have done something earlier, but at least they've got it done. Okay, it's better to do something late than to never do it at all. And this describes the scene before us. Naomi should have made this decision some time ago. As soon as Elimelech died, she should have packed her bags 
and headed home. But unfortunately, that was not forthcoming. And the Lord had to bring her even lower before she would return. There needed to be some work done in her heart. And often the most effective tool in the Lord's toolbox for shaping mankind is trials and troubles. And Naomi needed to hit rock bottom. If you remember last week, I compared it to the prodigal son. So Naomi needed to end up poor, destitute and hopeless, living with the pigs before she would willingly return home. And that point had now arrived. She was now willing. Yes, it should have happened sooner, but it's better late than never. And now what we're going to do is very simply work our way through the narrative. So the narrative is going to form the outline or the structure rather than having points or headings. And then we'll conclude with some practical lessons from this better late than never departure. Okay, in your life, has there ever been a time where you know you need to make a certain decision? Okay, you, you need to do something, but you're slow and hesitant to make that decision or to do it. Okay, so you know deep down that you need to quit your job because it's causing you harm and it's harming your family. Okay, or, or you need to withdraw from a relationship because it's having all kinds of negative impacts. Or you need to confront a loved one about a pattern of destructive behavior or you need to stop doing something because it's feeding the flesh and it results in you fulfilling the lust of the flesh okay in these situations you know what you need to do but it's very easy to push these things aside because you think hey it's it's going to be unpleasant it's going to involve pain and sacrifice it could get really messy so these tough decisions and conversations often get ignored and i'm sure you can relate this is what i sense in the text naomi faces one of these decisions and it seems likely that when she decides to go back to bethlehem this was not the first time that this thought had entered her mind it's not as though she'd been there for 10 years and never once had she thought about this and then hey wow i should go back to bethlehem but rather it seems more likely that she'd wrestled with this for some time perhaps the whole time And no doubt her conscience had inflicted her. You know what it's like? The whip of your conscience lashes you with guilt. And no doubt Naomi, since she's cut from the same cloth as you and I, she became a master at concocting compelling reasons to appease and suppress her conscience. We as humans are masters at lying to ourselves, endeavoring to extinguish guilt. But eventually Naomi came to her senses. Finally, she she snapped out of her spiritual backsliding. She stopped ignoring the guilt that had ravaged her. And she made the decisive decision to return. She heard that the Lord had visited Bethlehem. That's in verse 6. The famine was over. The house of bread now had bread, which seems to imply that the people repented. And here was Naomi, like the prodigal, she remembered home. She remembered what it was like. And the harsh reality hit her that the grass hadn't been greener on the other side. And finally, the decision was made to return. I want you to notice something interesting in the text. Moab is referred to as a country throughout the narrative. Whereas Judah or Bethlehem is referred to as land. 
And the Hebrew word in this chapter that's translated land, it's used almost 300 times in the Old Testament. And it describes the whole earth or the whole world. And it's a word that describes a vast expanse of territory. Whereas the word country means a defined, limited, and allotted portion of territory. So the, so the Hebrew here describes these events very carefully. So I could say that there was a famine in the vast land of Judah, but they went to the limited territory of Moab. And it's almost as if the writer is telling us that God's wayward people left Bethlehem okay, with the thought that Moab was going to be so much more, it's going to be so much better but they did not realize that at the moment they departed from Judah, they left greater for the lesser. Okay, Moab had promised so much, but could give them very little. And Naomi learned this the hard way. Because now, at her rock-bottom moments, she saw Moab for what it is. And at this point in time, she decides to return. Verse 7 commences, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was. Okay, she packed her bags. I don't think she would have had too many possessions, being a widow. And she leaves Moab. Okay, she leaves the place that had promised prosperity, that had promised fulfillment and happiness, but had left her poor, empty, and bitter. Things had not worked out well. And ultimately, this is always the result when we go the way of the world. Okay, sometimes it may take a while, but for the Christian, Moab, the, the world, yes, at times it looks appealing. It, it allures us with its promise of fun, fulfillment, and freedom. And initially, it will seem to be providing these things. But ultimately, it will fail. And we'll be left empty, enslaved, and miserable. Okay, this is something that Naomi learned the hard way, and may we learn from her. But having finally made the decisive decision, we're told in verse 7 that they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Okay, the Hebrew word translated return, it's used over a thousand times in the Old Testament in many different ways. But it is interesting that this word is used to describe the return to the land after the Babylonian captivity. Okay, a remnant returned. And I think that's a helpful image. Naomi, she'd spent 10 years in self-inflicted captivity, and now she was returning. And although the text is silence, I do wonder what was going through the mind of Naomi. No, no doubt there were mixed emotions. Surely there, there must have been a sense of relief as she left Moab. This decisive decision must have been soothing balm to her self-inflicted wounds. But there also must have been a dark shadow of uncertainty hanging over her. She, she, she must have been thinking, okay, what will people say when I return? Okay, what will people think? Will they accept me? Well, it's one of the devil's favorite attacks, and it's an ancient attack, to, to flood our minds with doubt about doing the right thing. But credit to Naomi, she made the right decision. She made the decisive break from Moab and returned. Now, sure, it was, it was late, but better late than never. But the issue that takes a center stage at this point of the narrative is this. What will Ruth 
and Orpah do? Okay, what, what will the daughter-in-laws do? Will they stay in Moab or will they go to Bethlehem? Because understand, while Bethlehem was Naomi's home, it was never their home. Naomi's people were not their people. And if Orpah and Ruth came with her, it meant two more mouths to feed, two more bodies to clothe, and to house. Okay, all, all the while, they were being dependent on the generosity of family members. And these two foreigners would hardly be welcome in Bethlehem. Okay, we, we understand the tension between Jews and Gentiles. Okay, as, as someone said, they would be as welcome as bacon at breakfast in a Jewish home. And th- th- their very presence would also be a constant reminder to Naomi and also to others of her sin in abandoning the promised land and allowing her sons to marry outside of the covenant people. Okay, every time she saw them, she'd be reminded of what had happened. So what should they do? Okay, this issue takes center stage. Now, it's interesting in verse 7 that initially they departed with Naomi. Okay, when Naomi left Moab, the two ladies went with her. And as I thought about that, it obviously says something about the character of Naomi. Okay, there's lots of negative things about Naomi recorded here. But the fact that her daughter-in-laws would be willing to depart with her at least initially, says that she must have treated them well. Okay, there's nothing here that indicates she was a horrible mother-in-law like all of the jokes that pervade our time. It seems she was a lady of character. Okay, it seems that she had a reputable testimony and hence these ladies were willing to follow. And it's also interesting that Naomi doesn't discourage their initial departure. But rather, according to verse 8, she waits until they had commenced the journey. I don't know what the rationale is behind that decision. We can't be sure. But from verse 8 down to verse 18, the issue that plays out is Naomi strongly encouraging both Ruth and Orpah to return to Moab. She tells them, go back. Don't follow me to Bethlehem. And we're faced with another difficult question. What are we to make of this? Okay, well, why did she make this request? What, what, was it wise or was it not? Should she have made such a recommendation? And it's difficult to be certain because we aren't given enough detail. Okay, it, it could be argued that she's testing the genuineness of their commitment. She wanted to ensure that they hadn't just got swept away in the emotion of the moment. Okay, well, we know that's possible. She's leaving. Hey, I better go with her. So she, she wants to test that. Or it could just be really unwise counsel. It, it could be quite sinister. We know that Naomi is bitter. We see that at the end of the chapter. And perhaps she's just trying to wipe out her memory of her own past. And the presence of these two ladies was a consistent and abiding reminder of her disobedience. That, that could be true. But the writer doesn't give us enough detail to be certain. But whatever the motive, Naomi presents her case. And her case is this. Remaining in Moab is the smart decision. Okay, you should both remain in Moab. That makes sense. And she encourages them in verse 8 to return to their mother's house. 
And that's a very unusual phrase. It's only found in three other places, once in Genesis and twice in Song of Solomon. And the context is love and marriage. In fact, in Song of Solomon, it seems to be the place where marriages were consummated. So Naomi seems to be encouraging them, return to Moab and get married. Okay, and what she's doing, she's extending her blessing to them. And this interpretation is confirmed in verse 9, where it mentions the house of her husband explicitly. And there she refers to rest, okay, and that's speaking of marriage. So Naomi wants both the girls to return, find a husband, and live a normal life. And the finding of a husband is the real issue throughout this scene, and it actually introduces one of the central themes of the book, okay, because as we go on, okay, Ruth needs a husband. So Naomi invites them to return to Moab. Okay, girls, go home. Live a normal life. You owe me nothing. And then she adds to this in verse 8, may the Lord deal with you kindly. Okay, the Hebrew word translated kindly, it's a term that has a covenantal background. And it's actually impossible to encapsulate the meaning of this term with one English word. Uh, it speaks of love, faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. And in short, it refers to acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. Okay, and this term is often used of God to explain his covenantal faithfulness. Okay, and Naomi wishes this upon these ladies because they had done good to her, that they had gone over and beyond. They owed her nothing, and hence she encourages them to return. Okay, encourages them to return with her blessing and with the favor of God. Now, it's very interesting that she talks about the favor of God okay, and the favor of God in Moab. So Naomi believed that her God was not like the other gods of the time. Okay? Each nation had a localized deity, but Naomi believed that the God of Israel, he was not a localized deity. Ge geographical boundaries didn't limit or hinder him. He can and does work even in lands like Moab. So, so this is elevating her God above every other deity. But what would they do? And Naomi's released them. There's no obligation. It's, it's an emotional scene. They hug, they kiss, everyone's crying. But both of these ladies decide in verse 10 that they would stay with Naomi, that they wouldn't return to Moab. And at this time, that there seems to be a real resolve. But Naomi, rather than accepting it and continuing the journey, she intensifies her argument. Okay? She, she continues to push. Now, we can't get a sense of, of the tone of this conversation. Was Naomi frustrated? Was she surprised? What, was this presented lovingly or, or harshly? It's hard to say. But from verse 11 down to 13, the argument is intensified. And, and again, the focus is the issue of a husband. Okay, obviously, times then are very different to ours. It was incredibly challenging to live a quality life if you were an unmarried lady. Widowhood particularly 
often meant inevitable alienation and devastation, destitution. And, you know, praise the Lord that our society has advanced positively in this particular area, and Christianity has much to do with this improvement. But here at this particular time, Naomi challenges Ruth and Orpah's perception of reality. Okay, if it was today, it's like, you know, are you girls crazy? What, what are you doing? Just go back. And their initial resolve, their initial commitment is tested. And she does this by posing a number of questions. It starts with a more general question in verse 11. It says, why will you go with me? Okay, ladies, it makes no sense. Why would you follow me? Stay with your family. Stay with your people. Stay in your land amongst your culture with the gods that you've grown up with. Why would you give all of that up? Okay, the smart and logical choice is to return to Moab. And then Naomi gets even more specific. And this is the crucial issue in her mind. She asks in verse 11, Are there yet any more sons in my womb that ye may be your husbands? And then she goes and unpacks this question in the following two verses. Okay, and her point is this, okay, in summary form. I don't have any more sons that can be your husband. And I'm too old. I don't have a husband myself, so I can't have any more children. And even if I did have more children, even if I fell pregnant tonight, you wouldn't wait around until he was old enough to be your husband. Okay, so, so that's the argument she's presenting. So in other words, there's no way you will get a husband if you come to Bethlehem. And to understand the point that she's making, if you and I were like, it's somewhat confusing, we need to remember the concept of the Levite marriage or the kinsman redeemer. Because this seems to be what she has in mind. And this particular point is essential as the narrative progresses. Okay, Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 to 10, it lays out okay, the, the Levite marriage. And to summarize it very briefly, okay, if a young woman was left widowed, Without having a son, then one of her deceased husband's brothers was responsible for being what we could call a surrogate father and providing her with a son. Okay, and this is all about preserving the family line, which was such a big thing in Jewish culture. So, so with, all, with all of that in mind, Naomi seems to be saying that the possibility for this is nil. Okay, I have no more sons. I'm unable to have anymore and even if i could you wouldn't want to wait that long okay so so there there's the issue and hence she encourages them to return to moab and to find a husband the usual way so she discharges them of any responsibility she wants them to go and live a normal life go home get married have children but if you come to bethlehem there'll be no husband no children and no normal life and i don't want that for you so, so hence Go home. And then Naomi adds one more intriguing detail as she presents her case. This is like a closing argument. It's the end of verse 13. It says, For it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. So here she attributes what had unfolded to the hand of the Lord. And this revelation seems to say at least two things. Number one, Naomi seems to blame God for what has unfolded, which is interesting. 
And it's something that we all tend to do. Okay? We, we go against what God tells us to do, and then we blame God when it doesn't work out. So that's the first thing she seems to be saying. But the second thing is this. Okay, the Lord is against me. Okay, that, that's evident from what's unfolding in my life. So you don't want to be with me. Okay, that the Lord is displeased with me. Why would you associate with me? Because that will bring you under his displeasure. In fact, this is the reason for the pain you've already experienced. So sever your ties with me for your own good. So that's the argument that she presented. And this was a very emotional time for all involved. Verse 14 informs us they were all weeping. Emotions were raging. And both Ruth and Orpah were faced with the decision, what would they do? Would they return to Moab or would they go to Bethlehem? Okay, there were sound and logical reasons to go back to Moab. And this was the decision that Orpah made. Initially, she had determined to leave Moab, but this, re this, re sorry, this resolve seemed to disappear almost as quickly as it appeared. And verse 14 tells us she kissed Naomi. And verse 15, which is the final argument presented by Naomi to Ruth, it's really an argument of peer pressure. There we find that Orpah returned to Moab. Okay, Orpah evaluated the situation and she made... A decision and ironically she was using the same logic that Elimelech had used 10 years earlier Moab looked greener it looked easier than Bethlehem so she decided to go back to her people and tellingly in verse 15 it says back to her gods and I think that's a subtle clue about her character and she had this initial resolve to follow Naomi but this quickly subsided because Moab was more appealing. But what about Ruth? What would she decide to do? Well, we're told in verse 14 that she clave to Naomi. Okay, this is the same word used in Genesis 2. A man is to cleave to his wife. It's translated sticketh closer in Proverbs 18.24. It's a tenacious, faithful, and, and, and persistent regardless of circumstances okay so she chose to identify with Naomi that was her decision she chose to leave Moab behind and she was certain in her decision okay notice her now famous response to Naomi it's, it's a beautiful declaration let's read verses 16 and 17 it says and Ruth said entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee for whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Conventional wisdom shouted for Ruth to follow the way of Orpah. But Ruth was not Orpah, and there was nothing conventional about her. She would not desert Naomi. And each of her statements that I've just read out, it actually increases her commitment. Okay? It, it builds. And what we need to understand is that this is much more than just a change of address. She, she's committing her life to Naomi. 
and she's leaving absolutely everything behind. She begins with what is a fundamental objection to everything that has been proposed. It's like, Naomi, I have heard it all and I, and I want you to stop. None of your arguments is going to change my mind. And nothing that you say will dissolve my resolve. I am with you. I am going to follow you to Bethlehem. Wherever you go, I will go with you. Wherever you stay, I will stay with you. Okay, when you go back to Bethlehem, I'll be with you. And your people, they're now my people. And your God is now my God. I've forsaken my people. I've forsaken the gods of Moab. And where you die, I will die. Where you are buried, I will be buried. Okay, and this particular statement about death and burial, it confirms that this commitment is not just for however long Naomi lived. It seems that she's older. Perhaps we could think, well, hey, she's old. She only lived for a few years. Big deal. Okay, but it's not for a short time because this commitment even when she passes, her resolve remained. Okay, and just in case we doubted her commitment, she finishes with an oath. And she invites the Lord to punish her if she didn't honor this commitment. Ruth stood with Naomi. She made the definitive decision to break with Moab. And again, understand this is not just about moving to a more pleasant location. Okay, this was a commitment for better or worse in sickness and health for rich or poor. Ruth had glued herself to her mother-in-law and nothing was going to break that bond. And understand this is a massive sacrifice. She's leaving everything behind. She's renounced her ethnic and religious roots. She, she's left her family and friends. This was a massive sacrifice. And in fact, what, what the text seeks to do, it, it doesn't so much criticize Orpah for her decision, because she did what most people would do in this situation. Her decision merely amplifies the beauty and wonder of Ruth's decision. Okay, this is radical self-sacrifice to identify with Naomi in such a way. She, she was committed, and they returned to Bethlehem together. And we will consider their arrival in Bethlehem next week. But for tonight, I'd like to leave you with three thoughts of application. So number one, a lesson on friendship. Ruth was a true friend. She was loyal. She was dependent. And she was willing to sacrifice for the sake of her friend. And these are marks of true friendship. She was faithful, and she stuck with her. Now, it's true that our situation certainly won't mirror the one found in the text. Okay? I, I understand that. But we would do well to possess the loyalty, sacrifice, and faithfulness of Ruth in our friendships. Okay? These are marks of true friendship. Okay? If we have friends like this, that they should be treasured. We should praise the Lord for such people. And by his grace, may we be friends like this. May we be loyal and dependable. Okay, these are indispensable qualities to true and lasting friendship. And may we think, pray, and meditate on the example of Ruth 
and see where her example could help us to be a better friend. Okay? And, and seek the Lord to help us grow in these essential friendship qualities. Number two, a lesson on discipleship. Okay, this is spiritualizing the narrative a little bit, but I, I don't believe I'm stretching this too far. Ruth and Orpah, they're, they're faced with a decision. And often you and I will be faced with a similar decision. Okay, it's not about Naomi or Moab, but it's about the Lord or the way of the world. Okay, and, and our resolve for the Lord, our commitment to him will be tested. And it's my desire for myself and it's my desire for you that, that we can honestly say, okay, like Ruth, there's nothing for me in Moab anymore. I, I don't want that. Okay, that's the essence of discipleship, that this is following Jesus. It's forsaking Moab, it's forsaking the world and declaring that I want to follow Jesus. Where he goes, I will go. Where, where he lodges, I will lodge. His people are my people. Jesus is my God. Okay, may we learn from Ruth. May, may we be like the Apostle Peter. Jesus asked him a question in John chapter 6, will you go away from me? And Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And by God's grace, may that be the desire and commitment of our life, because where else will we go? If we forsake Jesus, where do we go? There's nobody like Jesus. There is nobody else worth following. No one else comes close. Nobody can do what he does. Nobody's like him. Okay, why, why, why trade in Jesus that there's nothing better? And, you know, maybe tonight it's, it's time to leave Moab. It's time to, to leave the world. You, you know you've become ensnared. And, you know, make that decisive call by God's grace and follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. And then the third lesson is a lesson about Jesus. Okay, Ruth made great sacrifices to depart Moab and to follow Naomi to Bethlehem. And sorry to ruin the ending, but the end of the book, it ends up her being included in the most important genealogy in history, that being of the Lord Jesus Christ. You read her name in Matthew chapter 1. And let's think about what Jesus gave up for us. Okay, Ruth sacrificed greatly, but hers was nothing compared to what Jesus did. Because he is God. Okay, and what did he do in the incarnation? Well, he took upon himself human flesh and he chose to come to this world. He, he, he left heaven's glories for the world that he created. That's amazing. And he humbly submitted himself to the frailties and restrictions of humanity. Okay, the same humanity as you and I accept without sin. Okay, he never ceased to be God, but he limited himself in astonishing ways. And think about it. He departed the presence of his father. Why? Well, he did all of that for our benefit. As the hymn said, he left 
the ivory palaces and enter this world of woe. That is an amazing sacrifice. That is astonishing condescension. And he did that to deal with our sin and to make it possible for you and for me to go where he is, to lodge where he is, to be his people and for him to be our God. Yes, Ruth departing Moab was great sacrifice, but it pales into insignificance compared to the sacrifice of her distant relative who left Heaven's glory is motivated by love for sinners like you and me. That's the greatness and glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nobody even close to him. And hence, that is why he is the only one that we should live for. He is the only one that we should follow. Okay, the title of the message is to follow or not follow. That's the question of the text. And when it comes to Jesus, it should be really easy to answer. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you uh, for the Old Testament scriptures. We know that these things were written aforetime for our learning. And I do pray that we'd be um, teachable and we'd receive uh, the lessons uh, that, that you have for us. And uh, we, we, we do thank you uh, for, for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray we'd be struck again. Uh, but by how great uh, he is, and uh, may our love for him uh, increase uh, as we ponder uh, all that he's done for us. Lord, as we go uh, our separate ways, uh, I do pray uh, that you would keep us safe uh, as we travel home. Until we meet again, we ask this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.